and that you use it for your glory. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning. We're going to start in Jude verse 5 today. Thank you so much, Matt. You get two points in heaven. I think that's how that works. <laughs> I told you last week, I've just sensed the Lord wanting us to lean into what's called the sufficiency of Scripture, the idea that everything we need is in the Word and you guys know Seth, uh, Pastor Seth and I pray on Saturday nights often, kind of pray for Sunday mornings. And last night as we prayed, I felt the Lord just reminding my heart that um, as we kind of systematically come to the sufficiency of the word, as we feast on God's word uh, weekly, that there's a maturity that's produced in a body that really loves the scripture. Um, and I felt God just kind of nudging us to lean in and continue to, to cling to the idea that, you know, Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So this morning, Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that here, Lord, we have all we need for life and godliness. Lord, we thank you for bread to our souls. Lord, we know that life brings uh, valleys and deserts, and we thank you, Lord, that even in the valley, we can feast on what you said, spoken to us. That when the enemy comes to accuse or to deceive or to lie, Lord, we have ultimate truth, unwavering truth in this word. And we trust you, Holy Spirit, with all of our lives. We pray as we study it, you would, you would cause us to grow in maturity as a Christian people. And we pray that this region would feel the impact of, of believers who lay their lives down for the glory of Jesus and nothing else. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Somebody say amen. Well, we started last week looking at the book of Jude, the, the short letter of Jude. We said last week that Jude um, is the half-brother of Jesus, most likely the younger brother of James, who was the head of the church at Jerusalem and um, wrote the book of James. Jude, remember, he sat down to write a church. Again, most likely he's a church planter. The younger brother of Jesus is planting churches, and he sits down to write a letter to encourage the church. He said... Uh, he wanted to write about their common salvation. He wanted to write to encourage and to bless one of his churches, but he found it necessary to write to them, to encourage them to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. He says, there have been some who have crept in among you, slipped in among you. We would call those apostates who are not, they're participating in the visible church, but they are not of the spiritual church. In other words, they're participating in the life of the body, but they haven't truly been born again. They don't truly love Jesus. He says, they've slipped in among you, and you need to contend for the faith, the faith being the historic doctrines that were once and all delivered to the saints. And so that's the letter we're studying. It's very much about contending for historic Christianity. Now, Echaminius was a commentator. He commentated on the book of Jude. There's quite a debate about his time period. Um, historically, it's been said that he wrote around 1000 AD, but some are arguing now that he lived earlier. Um, but either way, he wrote um, on our text today, commenting on the verses that we're going to look at today, and, and said that Jude is trying to combat uh, the idea that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament 
are separate or distinct. He said that he believed the Nicolaitans taught this. Um, we actually don't know a ton about the Nicolaitans, but do you remember when Jesus says to the Ephesians church in Revelations 2, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Do you remember that line of scripture? We don't actually know a ton about what they believed, but um, Echomenius believed that they participated in this idea that the God of the Old Testament and New Testament were separate. Um, he said that Jude was writing against kind of the line of thought that Valentinus taught. Uh, he would have been a, a Gnostic heretic that um, Irenaeus went after, and the Marcionites. Now, the Marcionites were an early heretical group who did teach plainly the, the strong heresy was that the God of the Old Testament and that the God of the New Testament were two separate gods at war with one another. So what Marcion taught was that the God of the Old Testament was um, malicious, uh, judgmental, wrathful, and that the God of the New Testament was um, all grace and mercy. And Echomenius wants us to see that when we turn to Scripture today, Jude's going to tell us that Jesus led Israel out of Egypt and then judged those who did not have faith. And so, in other words, uh, Jude wants us to see that the God of the Old Testament is merciful and gracious. The refrain of Israel throughout the Old Testament is the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The, the God reveals himself to Moses as merciful and gracious. Um, and so the God of the Old Testament is very much merciful. And, and the scripture wants us to see that in the New Testament, God pronounces judgment. And particularly in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus comes to judge the wicked. And so there is no dualism in the personality of God. God's uh, not changing his mind about how he'll operate. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, or God, God didn't get on antidepressant medication when Jesus went to the cross. Okay, like he's consistent. Um, and so every think of this: when we go to court, we say, "You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth," because sometimes um, the best heresies are partial truth, half-truths that don't tell the whole story. Um, and so very much what we're going to find in this heresy that this church is dealing with, that Jude's addressing, is the idea that God is gracious and that at the cross we have forgiveness. But the concepts, the, the whole biblical idea that at the cross we see, receive forgiveness and we receive new hearts and newness of life. H hear me for a second. I know this isn't always like fun preaching, but by God, it's very necessary in our day. We don't get our doctrine from a single verse of Scripture. We get our doctrine from the whole of Scripture, from the whole counsel of the Word of God. And heresies and her heretical groups, oftentimes, they want to grab hold of a single verse and build an entire system out of that verse and they're really preying on people who aren't biblically literate, okay? And that's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about expository preaching or us working through books of the Scripture because we are promoting biblical literacy so that we have a full grasp on what the Scripture teaches. And that's how we build a, our doctrine, a systematic doctrine that thinks of the whole of Scripture. But what we're going to find in the the heresy that this church is dealing with is very much the idea that Jesus came to forgive and then it leaves out the part that Jesus came to transform. 
And when we don't communicate clearly that Jesus came to transform, we miss the entire overarching salvific narrative of the scripture, right? Like the, the fall from the garden to the garden, to, to the new city of Jerusalem, the, the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus was about forgiveness, but it was also about transformation and the kingdom coming and healing and deliverance and newness of life and repentance. And so God doesn't forgive you and then leave you in your sin. He forgives you and then gives you the power and the grace and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit to birth you as a new citizen of heaven. So we're not forgiven children of God who now continue to live like hell and promote the kingdom of darkness. We're forgiven children of God who participate in the kingdom of light and the coming final kingdom which Jesus will bring. Does that make sense? We, we have to consider the, the whole narrative, and this is going to shake out doctrinally, um, in the, in the little short letter of, of Jude. And so we want to think of the whole narrative. We are alive to serve God, not forgiven to continue to participate in the kingdom of darkness. We're actually driving the kingdom of darkness out. Okay? We're, it's very biblical, and I'm sorry that it's anti-Western, um, but we are to participate in the um, eviction notice of demonic powers in our region. Right? N- not to just receive forgiveness and continue to live in them not to receive forgiveness and participate and so think think of this um when you have a a child who struggles with addiction addictions um drug abuse is just such a rampant issue i'm sure we've all got a family member who's struggled with drug abuse um when they come and they ask for forgiveness of course we forgive our loved ones right of course forgiveness is offered but we don't want them to leave and continue in their drug abuse. We, we, of course you're forgiven. Let's get you some help, right? Let's, let's get you out of this destructive pattern that's destroying your life. And so the father is very much that way. Of course we're forgiven because of the cross. But, but father doesn't say, you're forgiven. Go back to your drug abuse and destructive patterns and destructive sexual patterns. Continue to participate in the kingdom of darkness and abuse one another and destroy your lives. That'll be great. The Father says, of course you're forgiven. Here's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Live holy as I am holy. Bring the kingdom in every area of your life. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Everywhere you go, preach the kingdom. The full transforming power of the gospel to the nations. Okay, so Jude verse 5. You guys with me so far? Sorry, I'm feeling a little bit like yakky today, so forgive me if I'm not pointed. Verse 5, Jude writes, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, I need you to remember that we said last week that Jude is one of the strangest books of the New Testament. Um, and it really is. 
Um, and so we're going to step into some areas of, of, of teaching that are interesting. So in verse 4, he told us, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas Schreiner, who's a great commentator, great scholar, he calls these false teachers intruders. And I think that's a really helpful way to think of them. So Jude says that you have intruders, some who have crept in among you, and they're perverting grace into sensuality. In other words, they're saying grace is a license to continue in whatever sensual desires you would like to fulfill. There are some within your visible church who are not members of the invisible church. They are participating in the life of the congregation. I think Judas telling this church in particular, you have been welcoming, you've been hospitable, you've loved, you've put your arms around people who you've believed to be brothers and sisters. I don't think Judas condemning them for that, but he is saying, but in the process, you've allowed some to slip in unnoticed and you're, you're actually welcoming apostates and those who are perverting the grace of God. So intruders, I think, is a good way for us to, to think of them. Remember that Jude says they're perverting the grace of our, our God into sensuality and denying our master, our only master. Today in verse 8, we saw, so still speaking of the intruders, Jude says that they rely on their dreams they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. One, they rely on their dreams. Church, we've said this a hundred times, but let's say it again for the sake of clarity. We believe in the continuation of all of the gifts of the Spirit. God tells, uh, when, when Aaron and Miriam um, come against Moses... God tells them, he says, when I speak to a prophet, I speak to them through dreams or I speak to them through riddles. But he says, but when I speak to Moses, I speak to him face to face, mouth to mouth. And so Joseph interpreted dreams. Paul in the New Testament um, had a dream of a Macedonian man telling him to come to Macedonia to preach the gospel. And we see a great move of the Spirit as he believes that dream is revelatory, given by the Spirit. And so dreams are normative in the Scripture. Dreams are normative in the New Testament. It's very biblical to have a dream and to pray and to ask God whether or not He is trying to speak to you concerning said dream. But these people they dream, then they build doctrine that's anti-biblical on the basis of their dreams and promote false teaching that defiles the flesh. And so we've got to be a people who embrace the ideas of the New Testament, mainly that God speaks to his children and sometimes through dreams, but we recognize and must cling to this truth that God never speaks to us in a dream in a way that's anti-biblical. So the Spirit has spoken plainly through the Scriptures. We don't allow, again, remember uh, Jude calls them dreamers. We don't allow dreamers to come again, come in the church with new revelation that perverts the plain doctrine. We are people who contend for the faith that was once and all for all delivered. We contend for historic doctrine. And so when dreams 
are presented that are in contradiction with the scripture, we throw them away. Our, our, we, we need to have a spiritual toilet that we flush stuff down in, okay? That, that is garbage. And so Paul, or Jude, I'm sorry, is saying to this church, you've allowed dreamers to come present new doctrine and it's anti-biblical and it's in contradiction with the faith. Remember we said the faith are those historic doctrines that were given to the apostles that build up the religion called Christianity. So one, they rely on their dreams. Two, they defile the flesh. They participate in sensuality. They sin. In other words, they live for carnal desire. Three, they reject authority. They reject the authority of the scriptures. They reject the authority of the governmental structure of the church on the basis of their own revelation. That's Gnostic. I I say this and I need to say it again. Every heretical spin of Christianity, whether it be the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, you could work your way through them all. They all have their basis or foundation in some dream or quote-unquote angelic visitation. And we need to remember that the the Scripture says that um, even Satan can present himself as an angel of light. And so Paul says, even if an angel preaches a gospel contrary to the one that you've received, let him be accursed. Don't, don't participate. And so every heretical movement in our day roots itself in some dream or, or visionary. And it's, it's divorced. They've divorced themselves from the authority of the scripture given to us by the apostles. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. We'll get a little more into that. Um, but Judah's saying that they, they disgrace or belittle God's order and particularly they are belittling angelic beings. And, and Jude says that that's unwise. So in these verses, okay, again, we have intruders who are dreamers, who defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They are teaching doctrines that are contradictory to the faith. And then Jude's going to give us three examples from the scriptures and from the book of Enoch. We'll talk about that. Again, Jude gets into some stuff that's not normal for us. From, from, from Jewish history to remind us that God intends for the gospel work to be transformative and not just a license, not just forgiveness that allows us to continue in our own sin. First, he reminds us of the Exodus. Verse 5, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Very interesting to remember again that Jude is the half-biological brother of Jesus, a son of Mary. And Jude says, Jesus led Israel out of Egypt and then afterwards judged, Jesus judged or destroyed those who did not believe. The the Trinity, um, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are totally one in their... um, in their nature. And so um, you, you don't want to embrace this Marcionite idea. This, sometimes it's presented this way. It's not quite Marcion. It's more dualism. But the idea that the Father is judgmental and Jesus is gracious. Therefore, we needed Jesus to, to die on the cross so that the Father would forgive us. No, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit were united from eternity past in their plan to redeem creation on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And we will never know the pain and the torment
ferment that happened in the heart of the Father as His only beloved Son was crucified on the cross. And so we need to make sure that we're not allowing these kind of Gnostic, dumb teachings to infiltrate our thought concerning the nature of the Trinity. And so he says, Jesus judged those who did not believe. Now, I'll take a moment just to point out that you may have in your scriptures the, a line that says, the Lord judged those who did not believe. And so this, this would be what you call a textual variant. Everyone say textual variant. Um, so we believe that the scriptures are inerrant, are fully inspired and fully inerrant in their original, um, in their, in their original writing. And so when Jude sat down to write, it was fully inerrant. But we do not believe that every, every copy of the New Testament scriptures that we have are inherent. And so what we have here is what's called a textual variant, which means that, that, that some of our copies of, of scripture, and actually in this case, our oldest uh, copies say Jesus, and then there's a later tradition, later copies that say Lord. Now, what you want to know is that there are no textual variants in the New Testament or in our, our plethora of autographs of scriptures. There, there are no textual variants that ever um, change doctrine. But there are textual variants because we don't believe that the scribes were um, perfect in their transcriptions. And so this would be what's called a textual variant. And this field is called textual criticism. It's, it's interesting if you're into that kind of thing, it can be really like you can bog down in it really quick. But essentially, there are families of um, of copies. So imagine if 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 one scribe slipped and wrote Lord in a hurry instead of Jesus, then everyone who copied from his copy would have used the word Lord. So then you can find families of of copies of Scripture. And so this one is one area where. The earliest, the earliest copies of the book of Jude we have say Jesus, but then there are, are later families that, that use the word Lord. That's not a problem for us. The church, I'm saying this because it matters, the church has never ran from that fact that there are textual variants in the plethora of copies of scriptures that we have. Now, we have something like the latest counts, or something like 6,000 um, copies of the New Testament from just the first couple centuries. So like a crazy number of copies. And so we would expect that with that much copying going on, there are slips of the pen every now and then. That's not a problem for us. The church has always known that. Your Bible is going to note that. You're, you're going to find a note in your scripture most of the time that says, hey, there are some families of scripture who use a different word here. That doesn't change doctrine. That doesn't pervert the faith. That's always been an issue that the church has been open and plain about. The church... Give me 30 more seconds. The church, <laughs> the church has always kept the plethora of copies of scriptures that we have. Again, we use the, we use the number 6,000, but really the number is much higher. And that's in Greek. When we start talking about, we have Coptic, really early Coptic, Coptic translations of scripture. We have lots of the scripture. Um, and so what happens when you have thousands and thousands of copies is that when one copy or two copies start to change the word, it's really easy to go, oh, all other 5,500 copies use the word Jesus here. It's easy to see which one slipped. What you want to be weary of is like with the Quran, for instance, when there was a, when there were differences in, uh, in scribal transmission, they would burn them. 
just start burning. When people start burning books, that's when you should be weary, okay? Um, it's, it's not consistency to burn everything that disagrees and pretend like you have consistency. The New Testament church never did that. They just looked at the issues and dealt with them. So there may be a, a textual variant here, but the, 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 the oldest copies we have use the word Jesus. And so Jude wants us to know, I'm, I'm transitioning out of that one, um, but I want you to know that because oftentimes when people come against Scripture, come against the church, they'll point to these textual variants, and when Christians aren't informed, they'll, they'll crumble and go, oh, I never knew. Well, the church has always known. That's a field's called textual criticism. You should take 20 minutes of your life to get familiar with it. Again, it can bog you down if you're interested in it. Cool. If not, you should familiarize yourself to an extent. So what Jude says is that Jesus led Israel out of Egypt and then afterwards judged those who did not believe destroyed those who did not believe so Israel experienced God's grace and natural deliverance Israel saw the fire at night and the cloud by day Israel saw uh, ate supernatural bread on a daily basis yet some continued in their unbelief and Jesus judged those who lived in unbelief. And Jude is showing us that simply being in the congregation of God's people does not constitute being a member of the faith. Participating in the life of the church does not make you of the church. In other words, Paul says in Romans 9, not all of Israel is Israel. Not all of the, those who are circumcised actually participate in the faith of Abraham. So this is, a, this is a historic doctrine that the church has always taught, that there's a visible church and there's an invisible church. And we want to make sure that we understand that participating in the life of the visible church does not make you a member of the invisible church. To become a member of the invisible church, the true church, you must live by faith. You must come to God with sincere faith. The emphasis shoot. Everybody say shoot. Are we allowed to say that? Shoot. <laughs> Let's, let me say it this way. I grew up in the South. I grew up in, um, in, in Pensacola, Florida, which if you don't know Florida well, that's called Southern Alabama. Okay. Um, we're boxed by Alabama. If you think Miami, you're on the wrong side of the state. Okay. Um, Southern Alabama, uh, Southern, Southern tradition. Um, in Southern culture, Christianity was normative. And, and sometimes the gospel is presented in such a way, and some abuse the gospel in such a way, to believe that participating in the life of the church brings you to some kind of fire insurance. You ever heard that phrase, fire insurance? Um, in other words, pray the prayer, go through the motions of the life of the church. If you pray the prayer and you're dipped in the waters of baptism, and you receive communion, then you have fire insurance, and you can continue to live however you really want to live, just continue in your sin, because Jesus forgives you so that you can continue to, and forgive me because I'm just, I'm just here on the pedestal, okay, so give me a minute, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I've got to express it before I can get off of it, like, um, even in, in southern music, you talk about country music or Western music, there's oftentimes, and I could pick a six-string boy, so I know what I'm talking about here. Um, if I can do anything, I could pick a six-string. Um, 
what we're talking about here is a culture that celebrates um, alcoholism, sleeping around on Saturday night, and then somehow it's culturally appropriate to get up on Sunday morning and go to church, and that's Christianity. Um, I can play you Hank Williams Sr., Jr., Waylon J. I can do it, but that is not Christian, okay? The, the Christian concept is not that God offers for us forgiveness because of the cross, and then we have fire insurance. The Christian concept, again, is that you come to the cross and your life is radically transformed because of it. And so we want to be careful. Haley, my little wife, was letting her Louisiana show last week, which would, like, Cajun people are a little fiery. I don't know if you know that. I live with a bunch of them, so they can cook, but they're also a little bit aggressive. Um, I don't It's genetic. I don't know. Um, Haley got all bent out of shape because there was um, a, a worship group who allowed a secular artist to sing with them at a worship conference. And the secular artist, a lot of their music is rampant and anti-Christian. And Haley was very frustrated because our kids were listening to a worship group that was now promoting a secular artist who promotes rampant sexuality. And um, and, and Haley was going, you're, you're just forwarding the agenda to make Christianity uh, about fire insurance and not life transformation and the transformation of culture and the eradication of demonic influence and teaching our kids about the kingdom of light and that there to be salt and light of the earth. And we're, we're not just those who cling to fire insurance. It's a very Southern idea. It's not a Christian idea. Who got that off my chest? Second. Jude is telling us, uh, the second thing he tells us is that there are angels who left their position and are now judged. Now, Jude is stepping into, he's, he's stepping into Jewish tradition. Now, within Judaism, there is, uh, there is the Tanakh, there's the scripture, which we believe to be authoritative, and then there's oral tradition, which was passed down from rabbis, and oral tradition goes in a million different directions. And then there's also um, Apocrypha. So so books that, that Judaism never believed to be authoritative, like the scriptures, but they did at times believe and teach that some of the stories in the Apocrypha were true. And, and sometimes the story didn't even have to be true to have a good lesson. Does that make sense? Like we tell stories and culture, um, the tortoise and the hare. I don't know why I thought of that one. Um, but obviously the story is not true, but the lesson of the story is true, right? I think. I haven't learned that yet in my life. I'm still working on that whole fast, slow thing. We'll figure that out later. Um, and so he's going to, he's now pointing to um, oral tradition and extra biblical tradition concerning Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Genesis 6, 4 says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now the book of Enoch, which was very popular in first century Christianity and Judaism, everyone would have read it. This is actually really interesting to think now because we're thinking about the the biological half-brother of Jesus, talking to us about the book of Enoch as if we've read it, because obviously he had. And so it reminds us that Jesus had a very first-century Jewish upbringing, that his brothers were very familiar with the, the Apocrypha in, in Jewish history. And so the biblical idea from Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, uh, says that the sons of God slept with the daughters of man, 
and produced Nephilim, giants of the land. And so Enoch, the book of Enoch, um, expounds on this idea, tells a fuller story in which in, in, the, in Jewish tradition, the sons of God were angels who began to have um, uh, intercourse with biological women. They lusted after women, had intercourse, produced children, and, this, and Enoch says that God cast them to a pit, those angels were cast to a pit and bound in chains until the last day of judgment. So the idea there would be that even angels, even angelic beings who leave their position and dishonor the father pursuing their sexual desires are judged. So not all of Israel is Israel. Follow the thought. Some who are even amongst Israel who do not believe are judged. Even angels who are angels who do not believe, who participate in sensuality, are judged. Do you, do you see what Jude's saying? And then the third example he's going to give us is this. Um, the, the third exam, example would be of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Israel, not all of Israel is Israel. Even those who saw the fire by day, those who saw Moses' face shine like glory, were judged because of their unbelief. Angels who have been caught in the presence of God, seen, seen the throne room, are judged because of their unbelief. And then he turns to Sodom and Gomorrah to show us that God judges sensuality. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah living in sexual immorality, indulged in what he calls unnatural desire. And he says that this serves as an example of judgment. Now, I understand that this is very controversial in our modern culture, um, but it seems plain that when Jude uses the word unnatural desire, he's referring to homosexuality. Um, yes, there's without a shadow of a doubt, Sodom and Gomorrah participated in all kinds of sensuality. And some will make the claim that the judgment here is because the men in Sodom and Gomorrah were trying to rape angelic beings, right? Because they were angels who came. Now, um, there's nothing in the text in Genesis that tells us that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah knew that the, men, that the angels were angels. The, the text very much communicates that they appeared as men. Um, and so, historically, the church has always interpreted this to mean that God created us with a natural order. That, again, the Bible teaches that sex should happen between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And that we were actually created with much more intention than just sexuality. And I think that's one of the great errors of our culture is to say, like, whatever your sexual desires are, that's who you are. And your fulfillment in life is fulfilling those desires. And if you can't fulfill those desires, then you can't be you. I think that's garbage thinking. Like, you're more than your rogue sexual desires. And there are many people in scripture and in church history who never once participated in, in sex. They were celibate for their whole lives and had wonderful, fulfilled lives in the gospel. And so you're more than just sex. And if you think you're not, that's dumb. Um, I'm going to get over that phase here. I'm in a phase right now. I'm going to get past it, I promise. Um, and so what Jude is saying is, look, even Sodom and Gomorrah 
when they lived in rogue sexual desire, experienced judgment. These intruders, the intruders are teaching you that Jesus died so that you could be forgiven, and then you have fire insurance, and then you could have sex with whoever you want, you can live however you want, you can use your money however you want, you can abuse whoever you want. And Judah's saying, they're actually denying the fact that we have a master and a king to a new kingdom. And, and Jesus, Jesus always judged individuals who lived rebellious. Christianity is not a license or opportunity for rebellion. Christianity is the opportunity to have the power of the Holy Spirit crucify rebellion in your heart. Grace does not excuse rebellion. Grace gives us the power to live obedient to God. Grace, grace picks us up when we fall and when we struggle, sure. But Christianity is not about fire insurance. Now, from there, I'd like to take a few minutes to do a little bit of theological reflection. Everyone say theological reflection. Oh my gosh, you guys are so smart. Um, what lies under the text, what Jude is communicating, there, there are a few themes the first theme we want to reiterate is that salvation is transformational. Meaning that being saved does not mean escaping judgment, but that being saved means escaping judgment and being transformed in the place of your heart to participate in the new heavens and new earth. Now, this, again, we're doing a little theological reflection here. Um, this is a concept that we've really not thought much about. Salvation, again, is not just justification. It's not just forgiveness, but it's sanctification and being set apart and glorification. And so salvation is you receive forgiveness because of repentance, which involves turning. You're given a new heart. Your heart of stone, the scripture says, becomes a heart of flesh, a new nature. Literally, spiritually, we're united with Christ at the crucifixion. So our old man dies and we're united with Christ in the resurrection. And so we're born again. Unless you be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so do you see how this, this heresy of antinomianism, this heresy that says Christianity is a license to live however you want, it actually is a part of the truth. But it dissects itself and separates itself away from the whole truth. And so, again... Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The whole truth is that we are forgiven, but then we're the, the, the Spirit of God is deposited into our souls and gives us the strength and the power to live as Christ lived, not perfectly, but we're increasing in our knowledge and, and in our sanctification. And so we're, we're transformed with newness of life, given new power, and for the believer, the greatest desire is to know and serve Jesus. And so if you say Christianity is forgiveness so that I can live however I want to live, that's what culture is saying. You know, how dare you talk to us about our sexual sin? Jesus preached grace. There's some serious lines of logic that, that need to be addressed there. Um, I don't have the time for that today. But, but the biblical presentation is that Jesus came, lived sinless, was crucified, 
rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's seated in heavenly places as the king of the universe. And then he sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to baptize his church in power and in fire. And he's commissioned us. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and preach this gospel to the nations, disciple the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The holistic picture is that we are called out of darkness and transformed, Colossians 1, transformed into the kingdom of light to participate in the kingdom. So first, salvation, theological reflection. Salvation is not just forgiveness. It's also transformation, and thank God for that. Second, I don't have the time to get in this fully, Um, Because you guys don't listen to me anyway. You're all like, let's get to the chicken. Um, (laughs) Shame on you for eating chicken at 1030 anyway. What y'all coming to the early service for? Um, The second thing is this. We have really poor, Western Christianity has a really poor understanding of the mission of God. God's mission was not just forgiveness so that we could go to uh, another place called heaven. Okay, heaven is where we have brothers and sisters who pass. Um, A wonderful brother who passed this week who we really loved. He exists to be absent from the body, is to be present with Christ in what we call heaven. Um, But heaven, where believers are today, is just an intermediate, intermediate state. The the point of the gospel is not so that we can be caught out of the earth. That's why I'm not a big fan of the rapture concepts, which say God's going to snatch us out of the earth so that we can um, exist in the clouds. That's kind of poor thinking. The point of the gospel was to transform and renew the earth. And so on the last day, when when all is said and done, we will live on earth with Christ Jesus. We'll have new earthly, heavenly bodies, but we'll exist on the earth. And our mission is not just to get saved and wait, but our mission is to get saved and to advance the kingdom, God's dominion on the earth. The church has a mission to bring heaven to earth as we preach the gospel. And what's really garbage about this kind of southern fire insurance thinking is that we think everything's about just praying a prayer so we don't go to hell so we continue to live in sin. And it was actually from beginning to end about God's dominion being established on the earth and renewing the earth through the proclamation of the good news of this gospel, participating in the kingdom and its work, which would include preaching salvation, healing the sick, casting out devils, serving the poor. You're caught up in a, in a mission, a biblical mission. And one of the things Jude is saying here is, from a theological perspective, You've got salvation wrong, and you've got the mission of God wrong. And you think it's just about you having grace to live however you want, when it actually was you having grace to be forgiven from your past sins, yes, but then being endowed with the power of the Spirit, transformation in your heart, so that you could express the life of Christ in the earth. Paul's saying, I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? I'm united with Christ in his death. I've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives through me. We are to live by the power of the Spirit and express the life of Christ in the earth. And what's really garbage is when the church thinks that Christianity is about grace so that they can continue to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, drink whatever they want to drink, however much they want to drink. 
live for their own desires. That's garbage. We were saved, forgiven, transformed by the power of the Spirit to bring the kingdom to the earth, to participate in God's renewal plan. It's one of the reasons why when we pray for Hilton Head and Bluffton, we believe God's actually planted us here to be transformed from the heart out, but for that transformation to begin to spill into this region. It's not just about fire insurance. If you think it's just about fire insurance, you may be flirting with an early heresy. Now I'm sweating, and that's your fault, I think. biblical concept and what Jude is playing with here is that if you've experienced salvation, you're not only forgiven, but you have a new heart. And you're, again, your greatest desire is to love and serve Jesus. And if you call yourself a Christian and you're a, we would say a member of the visible church, yet you don't have a new heart, you want to just continue to live however you want to live. You're selfish and um, motivated by your own sensual desires then we would say you probably never really experienced salvation. And that's not throwing stones. That's an invitation um, to experience something more than just an excuse to continue to live however you want to live. To experience um, the death of the old man and the life of Christ infused in you and expressed through you. That, that is wonderful and beautiful. And that's the power of the faith that Jude is defending that we need to make sure we can articulate in our day. Does that make sense? Worship team, come for me. We'll get ready to close. We'll just kind of keep pushing through this text here to try to understand Jude's, his points. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet? We want to be a church to conclude, we want to be a church that preaches the gospel, but who doesn't get our doctrine from just a few verses of scripture, but gets our doctrine from the whole counsel of God's word. And that would lead us to the place of preaching forgiveness and discipling people into transforming power and believing for godliness to reign. That would be a people who preach forgiveness and then lead people to find freedom from demonization, from being demonized lead people to find freedom from oppression. And so we want to participate in the fullness of God's plan, not try to dissect it and pick a piece out that's beneficial to us. That makes sense? We won't be perfect. We're going to fail. I'm going to fail. Um, none of us are going to be immaculate. But when we fall, we pick each other up and we remind each other of the mission, of the purpose, of the meaning of the cross, the meaning of the the life of Christ coming through us. We can't compromise. That's, I guess that's where we're really going here. Jude's saying, don't compromise what the full gospel is for your personal self-indulgence. Love the whole. We're salt and light. Salt and light. Transformed. Born again. Fully alive in Christ. Marked by the power of the Spirit. As we transition, there were a few um, prophetic words that came forward today. Altar team, if you guys want to get in place. There are a few prophetic words that came forth today. Um, again, we believe in prophecy. Uh, we believe it should be tested and be in line with Scripture. Uh, 
Um, but there were a few words that came forward today that we believe do and that we really felt the Spirit was speaking. Tom, where's Tom? Would you come first? Um, I want Tom to share, and then I want to ask Miss Jackie if she'd come too. Hello, everyone. Um, like we were saying, being instant in season and out, and, uh, you know, all for the last few weeks, the Lord's been impressing upon me and my wife's um, hearts about difficulty, right, in, in the walk that we live through. And um, last night, my wife and I were watching a film, and there was a Latin phrase that came through. And it, it, it's, excuse me, I'm not Latin, so I'm, <laughs> it's uh, docios ex esperis, and it means through difficulty, sweetness. And I felt like last night the Lord just impressed upon my heart what he'd been trying to talk through us for the last few weeks. That, um, you know, a scripture came up, and it's uh, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. It says, In this you rejoice through now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold and precious through it is tested by fire may be found in result in praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ and basically what the Lord was I felt he was speaking to us and for the body was um, we need to have a focus change and uh, that was actually reiterated uh, after this word and I know there's a confirmation that we need to focus on what the Lord is doing Stop looking at difficulty as that which is happening to you and it's an oppression, but turn it and flip it. I know what Pastor said earlier was it really spoke to me when I was back there listening. And it says, you know, we have a job to kick Satan out. Part of the job is changing our focus and allowing the Lord to speak through us through the difficult times in our life and what we're supposed to do. So I really feel like. The Lord is uh, taking us through this time and that we need to have the focus change. So, Miss Jackie, would you come? Thank you. I thought that um, in difficulty, sweetness was really meaningful, for, especially for us this week with losing someone we love. When I come in this morning, I was sitting in my chair praying before worship started. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want to break a spirit of anxiety off this church and I went into a vision and I saw nearly 50 people standing here at the front and they weren't kneeling they were standing waiting for deliverance and I believe today is a transformational day and the Lord said if some of you are waking up at night and you think God is waking you up to pray and I'm telling you a spirit of anxiety is waking you up to do battle and you are praying and that's good some of you it comes and goes it's not there all the time but there is a spirit of anxiety that has taken hold and today I believe is a day of deliverance if you will come and you will stand and you will flood this altar that I believe God wants to not only break off his spirit of anxiety but release peace that will guard your heart in your mind. Amen. So as we worship, if that's you, if that resonated, the, maybe you're going through a difficult season and 
ask you to come and receive prayer. I want to believe God to bring deliverance. Come on, we just ask for the peace of the Holy Spirit to be released today. Drew, Zach, would you guys mind ministering? If, if you're on the altar team in here, we'd love for you to, maybe it's not your day on, but if you just jump in, that would be great. Come on, we just ask for fear to be broken this morning in Jesus' name. church if you're not receiving ministry if you just sing let's just worship the Lord as people are
Come on, let's sing one time. some of us need to need to get out of here um, but the altars are going to stay open ministry is going to keep happening so please don't rush if you need ministry and, and if you guys would be respectful of those who are receiving ministry but in Jesus name we ask for the blessing of the Lord to fall on every home represented we thank you for your power and your grace in Jesus name we pray every saint say amen amen well hey you're free to, to get out of here but please stay receive ministry if you're struggling at all If you want to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to pray with you before you leave.